Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Hi, I'm Productivity Catalyst Claire Kumar and your host for NAPO's podcast, Stand Out, the show all about improving your productivity and organizing business. And we know sometimes that comes down to improving yourself. Today, we're going to explore a topic which is really pervasive. It affects how we live and work, and it needs to be infused into every aspect of what we do. It's communication. Whether it's speaking to clients, writing web copy, or standing up in front of a group and delivering a compelling presentation, getting better at communication is directly beneficial to how successful we are in our business. We can close more gigs, we can more effectively serve our clients, and if you're like me, we can change a lot of minds. So today we're going to explore how to be more clever when we're communicating, and to help us do that, I'm excited to have Hope Timberlake with us. Now, let me tell you about Hope. She is a speaker, trainer, and author who focuses on the communication side of leadership. She is passionate about persuasive messaging, relationship building, executive presence, and elevating the voices of women and those underrepresented in leadership. Hurrah for that. Her book, Speak Up, Damn It! How to Quiet Your Fears, Polish Your Presence and Share Your Voice will be published in October 2021. So keep a lookout for that. Welcome to you, Hope. Thanks, Claire. I'm so excited to be here and very excited to hear how you're going to be changing minds. We want to make sure we get to that in this conversation. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm really excited because I've been doing some, actually tried to do some research into what percentage of people actually are comfortable speaking up? I have a hashtag. Sometimes I use speak up, speak out for those things that we notice around us are just not okay. Whether it's some kind of exclusivity, exclusive racist behavior, not respective ways of being. And I believe we have to call that stuff out. Or as I think Kathy Klotz guests would say, call people into a conversation. So I love that you've written this book. I want to hear all about that. But yeah, maybe you can start with that. Maybe you can start with prompting you what led you to write the book. And I want to know, speak up, damn it. I want you to tell me about the title as well. But So give me the why and give me a little background on the title first. Okay. Background on the title. Actually, I'm going to give you the why first because it will make more sense. So I have spent 15 years working with executives on presenting well for high stakes presentations. So that might be they're pitching investors or they're presenting to a board of directors or they're on a main stage presenting to customers or industry events. And I spent so many years doing this and it was very fulfilling and fun and exciting, a lot of travel. And about five years ago, I decided, well, this is great. I know these skills. And things were happening in the US from the Me Too movement to political changes that I was like, okay, I cannot continue to work with lovely, but executives who I sometimes refer to as pale, stale, and male. Can we please see more, a different type of leader? 
And so I made a big intention five years ago to take these same skills, take the same persuasive communication tactics and strategies and apply it to people earlier on in their career, to women, to anyone who is not represented right now in corporate leadership. So that was the intent behind Speak Up, Damn It. It's very exercise-driven. People can do it from home. They don't need a private coach. They could do it in pairs. They could find a little cohort, but they don't need to have the one-on-one coaching that I had been providing. So that was the why. Amazing. So that's making it accessible, all of your expertise, making it more available to the people that actually really need you. Yes, exactly. And in a way that's really fun and iterative. So you can do it and do these exercises over and over. So that's the other problem with having a coach is it's awesome when you have them, but if you haven't built those skills or those behaviors or that long-term plan, it may not happen after you're finished for the coaching engagement. So this is an opportunity for even those who have been fortunate enough to have that level of access, they can continue as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Love it. Excited. So October, 2021, we'll look out for that. Let's talk about, so this idea of more clever communication, what would you say is the place to start when you're thinking of approaching an audience? Like, where do you start thinking about your message? Yes. Well, I think it's interesting. And I'll take a step back. I think that the biggest problem we do is we're so introspective. And I presume that many of your listeners are really great perfectionists or type A or some version of let me make sure I have this exact messaging correct. Organizers? Are you kidding? (laughs) I don't know why I guess that, but I kind of think. So the idea is, the reality is almost all of us are like that. We spend too much time in our head, introspective, inner critic, all those things. And if we can just take that energy and point it outwards, reflect it, whether it's through curiosity or through some version of how do I get persuasive? How am I clever? How can I do this in a way that is about them and not about us? And sometimes that's really overwhelming or intimidating, but the reality is it doesn't have to be like you have to match your message to the audience. I mean, that's great. That's golden. That's magic when that happens. But even if you're thinking, okay, I'm just going to be curious about how this message is going to impact them or make them think or possibly change hearts and minds. Well, it keeps people listening then, doesn't it? So I went through executive coach training. And one of the big things we learn as coaches is to stay curious and to keep asking questions. So that's amazing. I mean, I've just been writing speaking proposals and it's all about here's what I can do. And it's like, wait a second. What if there's an opportunity to co-create this with the customer, right? It's not like, here's my product and this is it. You got to drink my Kool-Aid. It's like, what message are we trying to leave here? What's the effect you want to have with your employees? What's the awakening you want to have? And so to co-create that, to keep that questioning and curiosity at the forefront of the proposal process, never mind the talk, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's it is I think, again, we try to like think it's one such at all, or I have to be the expert. I have to be the one that gives all the answers. And really, if you're open to iterations or open to input, that's where the magic lies. And it feels like a lot less pressure. It sounds kind of risky because you don't know where it's going to go. So you have to be okay with saying, I actually don't know the answer to that, right? And dancing in this, what I call dancing in discomfort, right? But boy, can you get to richer places with that attitude and there is less pressure. It's quite fascinating. And I think as, yeah, both in organizing work and productivity work, the client holds 
the direction and a lot of the answers. Our job is to invite them out. Right. But like you said, it's a little counterintuitive because we think that it's going to be less of a, it feels risky, I guess what it really does. It feels risky to try to invite them in, but it is so much more fulfilling. Yeah. So this is about really keeping listeners and their objectives at the forefront of what we're saying. So taking the eye out of this communication piece and thinking about them. Okay. What would you say next? So, cause I was, I'm thinking about an audience I want to deliver to, let's say it's leaders. We're talking about going back to work. There's a lot of anxiety. There are leaders who want to be just, I want to go back to the old normal, even though the old normal was broken. I want to go back to some sense of that. And I want to also deal with the fact that 80% of my workforce wants to work from home. Like, you know, where do we start with, you know, I've got to lead a conversation here. I've got to introduce some concepts and thinking and so on. Where do we start? Yeah. And I think really, really, really mining that whole audience because yes, they're saying they don't want to go back to work. We're hearing this, we're hearing this across all the companies with whom you and I work and not necessarily taking those things at face value. It's like diving in deeper to the audience. So yes, we want to listen to what they're saying. Yes, we want to take into account like the pulse surveys and all of the data that's coming our way. That's really important. And let's get to the why. Why are they saying this? Why is this happening? And is their why really true? So is the why that they have moved out of state or that they have a new dog? Or is there fear or all of the above? And so I really want to make sure we mine that audience piece for all it's worth on, yes, getting in their input, but also asking those probing questions, whether they answer or whether we're just considering and pondering what's beneath what we know, what's beneath what they're telling us. And then can we really be prepared for that next piece, which is like, how do we set the objective? How do we really come with what do we want out of this? You know, okay, we know that they're upset. They don't want to go back to work. It could be any number of logistical or fear-based emotional reasons. Now, what do we want from this conversation? Is the goal really getting them back to work or is the goal retention, productivity, happiness? So getting really clear on what is our objective for this communication. I love that. And sometimes we have to do that questioning So where does the goal fit in? Is that the first thing we're trying to do is figure out like, what am I trying to achieve here? And then we got to go mining or sometimes are we trying to figure out the goal? We got to mine first to figure out what we're actually trying to achieve. I flip it. So I say like, for example, this week I'm leading a workshop for managers and they are having conversations with their teams and they are so scared of having career conversations because they're like, we don't have this clear path. We don't know where they're going to go. We can't offer this. So that's what they're asking for is the career conversations rather than trying to figure out like, okay, the outcome is we will have this ability to, to lead these conversations. It's really thinking about, okay, as leaders, what's going on for them? What's happening? Is it a function? They're not doing this because truly they don't have a path or they don't know how or they don't have time, or they're scared that they're not going to have an answer, or they're worried that when they have the conversation, their employees are going to leave. So really, yes, sure, you might have that North Star of like, we're heading towards the topic of career conversations. But really, before we promise any kind of outcomes or where we're going to go with this, let's really figure out, is that the real question? And is there more there? That's huge, because often we spend a lot of energy, and it may be going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Yes. And it takes also some bravery too, because even if like your boss has told you, this is what you have to do, or your client has told you, this is what they want. 
really looking bigger, opening up the aperture, like, is this really the whole story? Is there more here? And being brave enough to push back and be like, okay, I know you asked for this. What about this? I do think being courageous is one of the ways leaders need to be now. As we step into this newer reality, hybrid reality, we don't know what it's going to look like and it's going to fluctuate geographically, clearly. We're seeing that now. So it's interesting because not only do we have to have a greater awareness, we have to have more of these feminine nurturing skills, which is why I love that you're encouraging women to really find their place in leadership because we need all those skills right now. And courage is one to say, you know what? We don't have the roadmap. We actually don't have it now. So we all need to be courageous in this. And can we dance together? And can we allow ourselves some compassion in the process as we figure it out? Yeah, but absolute bravery there because often we feel like we need to carry, we need to carry the load. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm hoping at this point in time, it's forcing us to be brave and courageous. I'm hoping it spills over. I'm hoping it's that thing that we're like, we don't always have to have the answers. We can iterate, we can pivot, we can listen, we can co-create. And that would be a beautiful outcome of this time. Yes, absolutely. Now you shared with me a concept before, state the bottom line on top always. What do you mean by that? State the bottom line on top. Yes. Okay. So assuming we've done our work, like we've done our our mining of like what's really happening, the values, all those things, where we're going with this. Now we're ready to communicate. All right. So at this point now, what many of us do, especially for analytical or we're thorough or detail oriented, we give the whole backstory. We share everything. We give the pros and the cons and the research and how we got there and all the steps it took to get to this conclusion. So if instead you just get to the headline, you cut all the background out and you say, here's the bottom line. Now that feels very uncomfortable, especially if we're analytical. And especially if the bottom line might be contentious or you're expecting resistance. Like, like is there not a fear of triggering defensiveness by boom, giving the bottom line up front? Or is there an art to the bottom line up front that is, you can swallow this bottom line. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's yes, going to go down. Definitely an art. So you're right. Like if it's really contentious, we may open it up as, hey, I have done a lot of research and here's where we should go based on that research. So you can couch it in something, but the hard part about giving all that information, all that background is you could be having a contentious conversation. They might be already crafting their defensive answers, knowing where you're going And we're just playing this dance longer. But if we're able to get to that bottom line on top opening, saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to share my recommendation based on my research. And then I'd like to open it up for some comments and discussion. So the bottom line is, I recommend we do this. I'm glad you asked. It's not like 100% for every audience, for every communication, we need to say, this is how it is. Take it or leave it, mister. There can be shades of gray based on what we're dealing with. Overall, though, I see way too many people, and especially when I'm working now with the women or people who are not in power, providing way too much of a preamble or disclaimers. I haven't thought this through. I'm no expert. I might be the youngest in the room. I'm not as experienced as you are, but maybe we should consider blah, 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 blah. Like articulating the imposter syndrome for everyone to understand that's where you're coming from. Like park that. 
Exactly. And so that's really where that bottom line on top comes from is if we are in a place where we're feeling like we need to be persuasive and maybe we don't are influential and we don't have the power in the room, how can we be heard? How can we be influential in a way that's not discrediting who we are or our ideas? And the other people. Yeah. So I just, it's interesting because I just had a very important conversation with university leadership around a personal situation with my son. And we navigated a meeting and I presented evidence and what I thought should happen in the the whole situation. And I had to document this. I thought, you know what, even though I know you're getting back to me, I'm going to follow up in writing because this is important. And I did review this with a lawyer who's a speaker now, which was really wonderful. And he's like, no, it's well-researched and it's common sense. But I finished with the bottom line at the bottom saying, just so we're all clear, I do expect this outcome. It's like, I've laid up the arguments and they know that because we've already had the discussion, but boom, at the end, I left the bottom line at the bottom there because I... I think the letter might be shared. And so I thought this is... Sure. And you have their attention. You've had their attention in person. You have their attention now. It's different if we're coming in with an idea and we haven't been heard before and we might risk losing their attention because they're not going to wait or read to the bottom line. Love that. So if I'm thinking about... So you were asking me about changing minds. And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is just like you are around inclusivity at the leadership table for underrepresented people... I am also looking at the neurodiverse population and the highly sensitive people. And we've got 20% of the world in that category. And a lot of us have been invited to leave organizations and constructs because they've been too onerous or taxing for us to participate in. And so I'm opening up conversations to say, can we expand inclusivity? What if? Some what ifs, sort of. What if it could look like this? What if we, you know? And so the bottom line is, We need to be more inclusive for the neurodiverse. And can we explore how we're going to get there? That's the bottom line, but I can flip it at the top with a, let's explore this. Let's co-create this. Yeah. And I think that's it. Is that one of the key things you did, Claire, was not say like, I think it's important that we include the neurodiverse, but more of a, let's explore this or even, hey, it's important to realize that there are a lot of great minds and a lot of great people that are not part of this conversation. We need to include the neurodiverse. So there are ways of doing it where it's not necessarily like you're, you're starting with all you know the percentage of the population you could or why it's important, but going to that bottom line is an important piece and saying it where it's not like a favor, it's a fact. You know, This is the way it is. So it's sort of interesting to understand what arguments have already been sold, right? We know inclusivity is a thing now. We've got mandates around it. I don't need to sell you on inclusivity. So I can work with you that we know inclusivity is important. How about we expand that concept? Because there's a group of people who've been left out. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's it, Claire, because it doesn't have to be one sentence as a bottom line. It can be a couple sentences. It's just not spending paragraphs to bury the lead. Yeah. And I like park the preamble. That's what, you know, park the preamble. Yeah. And and have your inner critic conversation with yourself and say, thank you for noticing. (laughs) See you later. Right. I'm good. I got this. I'm okay. Yeah. Use it as fuel to do your best and to be at that table, but not to in any way 
shape or form take you out of the conversation. Love that. Love that. What else have you got in terms of, gosh, what do we do wrong? Do we just get on a roll? You know, sometimes you can be talking and talking and talking and you realize you've been talking all the time and you haven't let the person jump into the conversation. What is that like? Yeah, I think there's two pieces to that observation. One is either we're afraid of silence. So we want to keep talking. We want to keep taking up the space. And of course, we love, I feel like you and I are aligned this way. We want people to take up the space. We want women to take up the space, but done in a strategic, intentional way, not in a way of, oh, I have to continue to ramble on because it is expected of me. Now that I have the floor, I have to keep talking. So having the courage to make a statement, let it stand, watch and listen for reactions. So you asked earlier about the title, Speak Up, Damn It. This is part of the title. There's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons, probably the secondary reason is if we are speaking up and saying our bottom line or saying our recommendation or saying our opinion and ending it with a strong, damn it, we are now more assertive and pausing rather than over-explaining, watering down, continuing to pollute the air with more ideas. Don't pollute the air with too many ideas. Oh my God, I'm writing that down for me. Yeah. Again, we think we have to do it all. Boil the ocean, share all the research, all the ideas, all the rationale, but say your piece, say the idea. It's important that we include neurodiverse people in leadership roles. Damn it. Now you can follow that up with like, how can we do this? What are your ideas for doing this? What benefits do you see in this? And so there are ways of bringing people in. I mean, we both know questions are brilliant, but I'd also say just that pause. Yeah. There's one, some, an acronym we learned in coaching actually to encourage this active listening piece. And it's, I don't know if you've heard it, wait. Mm, no, tell me. Why am I talking? <gasps> oh, <laughs> Why am I God. talking? I yeah. Yeah. So you're inviting someone to speak, but if you find yourself as a coach, you're just like, and me as an interviewer too. Why am I still talking? My job here is to extract the gold from our guests, right? Nobody wants to hear a Claire monologue. This is not that. It's about having some touch points and then figuring out where are we going to go next and yeah. then inviting that in. Totally. 100%. I love that. And it's so simple and so profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I notice it. And this is part of self-awareness. So I just ran a, in my Facebook group this morning, I just ran a monthly chat with Claire. And the idea is that it's interactive discussion. It's not a monologue. So because I'm hosting, I've prepared some material to share, but then it's, I need to drop that and say, and so how do you feel about that? And then invite each person to share their lived experience or ask a question. Yeah. I love that. Yep, exactly. Exactly. I want to tell you also the other piece of the speak up gamut. So you were saying other things that people do. So one of the things we do is we feel like we have to have it all. We have to know it all. We have to fill up the silence. But another thing that we do, and especially when I say we, that's a very broad, inclusive term. And I'm thinking about a lot of the people I have coached in the last five years, which has really been this more focus on women, underrepresented minorities, not yet leaders, emerging leaders, though that includes men too. It's not one one size fits all. And there's this tendency, and it can be generational, but it's not always, 
of ending statements like questions. So we should look at the neurodiverse population. We should review the proposal now, or I think we should review the proposal now. And saying statements as questions, and truly people have misattributed that to one generation, but I hear it across the ages. So the speak up, damn it, is ending your statement as a statement rather than as a favor. And so if you're saying we should review the proposal, damn it, you're not going to sound like you're asking a question or we need to include the neurodiverse in our leadership. Damn it. It's clear. It's a fact. It's not a favor. A fact, not a favor. It's a fact, not a favor. That's brilliant. Yeah, because then you're being taken more seriously right? You're not inviting questions for that. There may well be questions, but you don't want to invite them when you're laying it down. Right. Exactly. It's like your your university example. Of course, you want some discussion. You want buy-in. There's all kinds of ways of being influential and persuasive. And at the end of the day, here's my objective is my son needs this, or this is the outcome we need. Damn it. And beyond that, students need this. I raised all the background arguments and then brought up my personal experience because it's bigger than this. Yeah. So we can't argue. We can't argue with that premise, right? Is sort of the right. Love it. I've heard it more in a younger generation and also peppering with likes. Can you talk about that? Because the fillers, the fillers also from my older perspective, diminish the credibility of somebody who's speaking to me. If like they say like that, like everything like they, they want to do, like is, you know, like a good idea. And there's somebody I know. I said, do you know, you said like 23 times in the last two sentences. I was counting them. It was so distracting. And I thought, what's your take on the clarity and conciseness and articulateness of conversation and how much you want to work on that. Yes, a lot. Okay. So the same thing is that 100%, I believe in having a blend of strength and warmth. And the warmth is that you're bringing people in. You are really connecting with what they need. You're asking questions, you're anticipating their needs. So that's the warmth. There's a lot of that that's done before the conversation and during as well, body language. But there's also the strength. And that comes from clear, concise, precise language and conversation. So when you're saying like, you know, um, uh, so and so, just kind of last week, she was like, we looked at the research and we kind of found this and then we kind of found that and then we kind of found this. I said, you're looking at research and you kind of found those things. And she was like, oh, I said that. I said, yeah, three times, three times in two sentences, you said kind of about research that you were looking at and sharing the results. So what's happening in somebody's brain? Are these crutches we go to? What's going on when somebody does that? Yes. Okay. So it's really, really fascinating. So almost every client I've ever had, especially when I bring this up, but even when I don't bring it up, they'll tell me, I think so fast. I think too fast. I can't keep up. And guess what? They're right. But we all do it. It's not the ones who come to me. It's not the ones who tell me. Everybody does it. So there's lots of research. It's very, very hard to pin down. And I've spent probably way too many hours on this, but there is a range of studies that show that we are thinking between 400 and 4,000 words a minute. So huge range around. 
And the reason why it's so broad is some of the MRI studies are around images and then how many images do, does that make for a word? Is it a pink bird or just a bird? Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And the the pink bird alone has all these other associations with other words that we're not even consciously thinking. Regardless, we are Like the flamingo I saw in Florida. Exactly. And I was picturing like a little bird that a little preschooler had colored pink, but it wasn't meant to be pink. So like, right, we have all these like, you know, I'm thinking about the preschooler and the color, you know, the pink crayon and all of those things that happen. So we are thinking way faster than we're speaking. A fast speaker is about 150 words a minute. So regardless, we have three to many, many more times the number of thoughts coming through our brain than words out of our mouth. So as a result, what's happening is with those ums, ahs, sos, likes, you knows, we have been trained. And I think especially women socialized to be pleasers, to fill the space, to provide the answers, to be of service. We don't want to pause or don't take a break because that would mean that we weren't meeting the listener's needs. So we're thinking and we are, instead of just taking a pause that would allow us to think, we're filling that thinking time with a like, you know, so kind of whatever filler word of the moment that we choose. Our prime minister does uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it, yeah, it's a bit distracting. That is fascinating. I remember I used to get quite upset at the fact my ex used to order by saying, I think I'll have. Uh-huh. Really? You think you, you don't know already? Like, what? Are they going to decide for you? or <laughs> What do you mean? I think. I think I'd like. You got to make a choice now. Like, spit it out. Exactly. <laughs> it's these extraneous words that dilute the power of the message. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So we don't want that. We don't want that listeners out there. If you know that this is something that you do, do you have a tip on breaking a, you know, habit or a like, or I think, yeah, a word of choice that, you know, needs to be expunged? Yes. So I think the number one thing you need to do is even if you don't know that you do this or don't think you do this is record yourself, audio record yourself using voice memos on iPhone or any other voice recording option on any other type of phone, record your conversations. Now, not every conversation, but if you could try to record one a day or certainly one a week, it could be the conversation that you have with your colleague or your manager if it's a one-on-one. It doesn't have to be the highest stakes conversation, but first just have some awareness because people are shocked when they go back and listen. And so that, when I first got into, into this line of work and I was video recording myself and others and doing some speaking and I saw myself on video, I immediately lost 10 pounds. I had had some baby weight and I hadn't realized that I had kept the baby weight a little longer than I'd realized. And then when you see yourself on video time and time again, I was like, oh, okay, that tire around my belly is not serving me. So the point is with the audio, with the likes, the ums, the you knows, if you don't know that you're doing them, or you don't realize how frequently you're doing them. You can no longer be in denial, is what you're saying, right? You've just got to face it and do a little count. Do a little count. count. Absolutely. Right. I mean, do this in, in Toastmasters and it feels silly, but there is, it can be incredibly distracting and completely chip away at your credibility. The odd one is fine, I think. In fact, it's better to have an odd one than to sound like you're scripted. So 100%. That's why it's good to do, a, do an assessment. Listen and record and listen. And you may be one of those people who says an odd one 
twice in 10 minutes or twice in five minutes, not a big deal. It's the people who are doing it twice every 10 seconds or even more. More so than that even. Mm -hmm. But then pause. And so the pausing is hard. I have an exercise that I have on YouTube where you put sticky notes on the wall and you pull the sticky note off the wall after you share a statement or share an idea. And then you pull the sticky note off the wall to represent your pause. And the physiological effort of taking something off the wall and you just set it down on the ground or toss it on the ground, that represents how long you should be pausing. And you get more in touch with your body. So it's hard for us to break a habit just by saying, I actually loved your indistractable podcast. I mean, do not think about the white bear. Do not think about the white bear. The white bear is growing in your brain, right? Or the like and the so's and the you knows that they're going to make a bigger deal. So replace that with another behavior. In this case, the pause. But it's hard just to start the pause. You have to do something or practice something. And the sticky note exercise is one of the best ways to get rid of those filler words. Love that. And I don't know an organizer who does not have sticky notes. Exactly. So we're like, you're speaking exactly. up our alley here. This is perfect. That's lovely. And I love the wiring in of the body because it's not just an intellectual exercise. You've got to bring your mind, body, spirit to this thing. And that act will help anchor the learning, I guess. Yes, it really does. It works so beautifully. So yes, they can reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn or something if they can't find it. But the YouTube, I have it on my YouTube channel. Well, you know what? We'll make sure to put the YouTube channel in the show notes so that you can actually find that one in particular. If we can do that, that would be amazing. We'll also put, I don't know if you have pre-orders for your book, but we'll put the book title and so on. So you can find that as a listener as well. This has been fascinating because this is like the big stuff we need to think about when crafting a message. You know, how to get that, you know, you know, how to get that message out in the most compelling way. And I think with clients, we need to think about how we're presenting when we're trying to persuade them to work with us. And when we're trying to sell ideas, whether it be at a community presentation, a home show, on television or on stages, all of these places, we want to be memorable and compelling. And I think our choice of words and then how we deliver them is where we have the most power. 100%. Yeah. Well, Hope, is there anything you'd like to add as we wrap up this interview? I think it's been full of gems. Yes. I think that the first thing you should do when you're not driving or you're not walking your dog or wherever you are right now is to make, write down on your calendar when you're going to audio record yourself and listen back super illuminating. That's a beautiful call to action. And you know what? Share that with us on social media, on all the NAPO channels, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, even LinkedIn. So we can see you know, what the impact was. We'll be tagging Hope in all of those posts so you can be in conversation. And I'm sure Hope would love to hear from you as well. What did you notice that you might want to do differently? I'd love to hear that. I used to watch, well, I still watch always when I have a television appearance, I watch the segment. And I noticed at one point I was tucking hair I didn't have behind my ear. I was like, what What was that about? So there's physical things you notice, but I also noticed I was in love with the word absolutely. (laughs) Oh, it was, everything was absolutely. I agreed with people and it was absolutely. And I thought you need to find a new word. And what's your new word? What did you replace it with? I 
don't even think I came up with one word. I think I thought, vary it out, stay in the moment. And I think after what now, my first TV appearance was 2009. So it's been 12 years now that I've been doing this. I've relaxed a lot more. I'm more comfortable with space and I'm more comfortable interacting with someone else. And I think that's why I love these interviews so much as well. There's an opportunity to have touch points of and sharing, but there's this great invitation and in listening to content and then bouncing off something into, you know, where are we going to go? It's, I love the live nature. Yeah. And so podcast is right up my alley for that. Yeah. It's a big treat. You're, you are a natural, truly. Even the topics that are not that there would ever be an uninteresting topic, but the topics that I'm like, okay, I would resonate less with. I'm like, this is so fascinating. The guests you bring on, but also just your style is so dynamic. So it's very fun listening to this podcast and watching too. Thank you. Yeah, I invite everybody now. So thank you, Hope, for being with us. I invite everybody now to, to tune into more episodes. You can find them all at napopodcast.com. And if you like watching, then definitely check out the YouTube channel. I think it's Napo Inc., where you can find the YouTube channel, because we always have bonus content. And we're going to have bonus content for this episode. And I'm not even going to tease you to not you know what it is. You're going to have to check out the, the YouTube channel to find it. But what I always wish for you is to stay safe, to be kind to yourself, and to really enjoy your journey. So until next time, be well and have some fun listening to other episodes of NAPO Standout. That's all for today's episode of Standout brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.